Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I got my cue this time. Audio's all good. I was thinking our last break was the long break. I think that's what confused me and I just was dilly-dallying, getting my coffee and stuff. So uh, sorry about that. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by um, Kirk Reed, my husband and business partner this morning. We're talking about aging in place. Um, we're lucky enough to be joined by Mark Friedman, who owns Senior Helpers Boston and South Shore, um, and, and uh, also is an executive in a company called Assured Allies. So lots of experience in, um, in this area. Um, before we continue on our discussion, Mark, we do have a caller. So um, I believe still on the phone. Yeah. Uh, jo- Joel, are you still there? Yes, sir. Good morning, Joel. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm going to start with a very open-ended question, but then I'm going to go through a list of qualifications and ask if there's any assistance whatsoever. Um, is there any assistance for long-term care, either in the home or in a home uh, nursing uh, facility? And the reason why that question is so ridiculous, my wife has Huntington's disease. Six years ago, she was diagnosed with it. I, about six months later, I had to retire in order to take care of her. I'm also a military veteran, 28 years. We also paid $7,500 to protect our assets. And <clears throat> as you are aware, there are, it's a minefield of qualification requirements for any kind of assistance. Uh, one being no assets beyond $128,000, uh, um, age, and on and on and on. And each local community has their own little steps of requirements, which I understand and appreciate. But my point is, with all that's supposedly available, we have not been eligible for anything. And the primary reason I keep hearing is she has a terminal disease, so she cannot show progress. Therefore, it knocks us out of the box with that one or the $128,000 asset requirement. So, again, my question, and thank you for listening, is are there any assistance programs or monies available to help somebody in that situation. Uh, so, well, uh, I'm certainly looking to Mark to answer this, but, but Joel, uh, if, you know, if, you know, please feel free to hang on the line in, in case you want to uh, have, you know, have some dialogue, uh, you know, with Mark. Yeah. Okay. So there are 
there are several aspects um, to you know, accessing benefits. You, you mentioned one, and that is there's certain maximum wealth standards to access publicly available services through Medicaid or through the Veterans Aid and Attendance Benefit or those types of things. In essence, to access those, you almost have to exhaust your own assets to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's that's you know at a, at a you know very simple way to just describe it. Um, when you mention the, the terminal disease, well, you know that's true for you know I'm assuming Medicare, um, you know Part A um, and and C D is a supplemental plan that you fill the whole. Part B is for maintenance and those types of things, and different policies have different levels of coverage for those types of things. You may have a Medicare Advantage plan, which is more like an HMO under Medicare guidelines. Um, but you know there there isn't a lot in there other than clinical. So health insurance is just that, clinical. If you're trying to access, for example, home care services and things like that, no insurance really covers it. Some Medicare Advantage plans add minimum coverage. You may be able to get 10 or 15 hours of care a year, for example. Um, that's not going to accomplish a lot, given what you've what you've described. There's long-term care insurance. That's a privately funded insurance, or possibly you may have had that as a um, as a corporate ben- benefit um, that you were able to 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 keep. Um, right now, the the health insurance plans don't really cover this idea of of, um, uh, personal care or companion care um, for respite and and things like that. What I would say is there are strategies that you can employ. um, And the key is to talk to an elder law attorney who has the the Medicaid expertise for meeting the qualifications and finding the the nuanced programs um, that may be out there. There may also be information um, from um, there, there's various like Huntington's disease. There's you know national um, interest groups that may be able to point you in specific things you might be able to access, which may or may not be available in the in the area. But if the if the need is for you know private care, you know uh, for either um, hands-on support or companion care, those types of things, it's a gap. Um, it's just not part of the clinical world. Um, What's interesting is it's probably the biggest lever the clinical world could pull, clinical insurance could could pull to lower the overall cost of care over time. They're just not there yet. Um, And that's a a whole area called social determinants of health and micro social determinants of health. Um, But it is a gap. But my, I would say, you know, talk to an elder law attorney with an expertise in navigating Medicaid and the features of the look of the five year look back to see how you can structure things so that um, you can access benefits, you know, at whatever level as soon as possible. Um, that would be the best advice I could give you. Joel, I was just going to um, echo what Mark said in terms of obviously you want to speak to an elder law attorney about this. It's my understanding. So can I assume that you have assets that exceed the $128,000 level? Yes, and please know that we have spoken to two elder care lawyers and paid money and done all this stuff. And and I've been all through the things about, you know, diluting. What's killing us is she has an IRA, and that's giving us a monthly sum that allows me to pay the taxes and pay some for, you know, caretakers and so forth. So we try to defray costs. And that's why it's it's such a ludicrous question. Is there anything out there? And the answer always comes up, no. So I was hoping that I might have missed something after years of looking, but it, it appears that I really haven't missed it. And I, the and only, the Mark, other, excuse me, Joel, the only strategy I'm aware of for a married couple is, is turning assets into income via annuitizing assets. Um, right. The, the problem being, of course, that you, that sounds like the asset is in your wife's name and is in an IRA, therefore would have to be liquidated fully, taxes right. paid before it was annuitized. Right. right. And if we did that, I wouldn't be able to afford what little yeah. <laughs> assistance we have now. So we're kind of in a catch-22. Uh, I even wrote, yeah. a, can I give you a shameless plug for a second? <laughs> I even wrote a poetry book get it published, and I started sending it out to radio stations, you know, a little, a little ad and whatnot. And that sold a couple books, and it's helped a little bit. But it's stalled, and, you know, now I'm, I'm looking for other other means, and, and I guess I'm at a dead end. 
you know, th this is a, a very common issue that we hear, and I and I, I I empathize, you know, with your with your situation. You know, for years, this concept of an irrevocable trust, which basically is uh, from the eyes of a you know ownership, it takes the the, the assets out of the individual's name, which lets you yeah. still have the assets as a beneficiary. But it's not in your name, therefore you're able to access programs that are out there. Folks in the middle are are left uncovered. You know, the very wealthy can manage their their needs. Those without assets can access the public program. Those that have just kind of you know you know done the right things are kind of left with without access to 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 support and services um, in there. And it's 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 a societal problem. I know that doesn't yeah. uh, help you, Joel. Um, um, and it, and it's got to get it's got to be fixed. But I, I wish I had better advice um, that, than that. But you know, with the look back period, you, know, you can't just set up an irrevocable trust and tomorrow qualify for the benefits. You it's that five year gap, right? Yep. Well, uh, listen, I I very much appreciate uh, you listening to me and the answers. If nothing else at all, it's consoled me with the knowledge that I've done everything I can, and we're right on the cusp, and we'll just have to keep toughing it out. That's all. But I appreciate the uh, information. Good luck to you, Joel. Good luck. Well. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. And un you know, unfortunately, I have conversations with people like Joel frequently. I just had uh, someone I chatted with yesterday uh, who wasn't a client, but um, you know, just looking to see, you know, what what do I do? I yeah. you know, we have this money for mom, and she needs care, and it's this expensive and mm -hmm. is there anything we can do to preserve the assets. And if you haven't, unfortunately, if you haven't, you know, if families haven't planned ahead, then sometimes the answer is no. Right. Um, and, we get, we get calls several times a week. You know, this is the insurance I have and it's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. When yeah. you hear some of the stories. Mark, Mark, you know, based on your experience, do you have a do you have a kind of a rough guideline for when people should consider, you know, an irrevocable trust if, if they're if that if it's appropriate for them? Um, you know, is there a is there a is there an age, you know, when you should start to consider that? Well, I mean, you know, um, I know you're not an attorney. I followed my own advice, but I would argue, you know, in your fifties. Mm. You don't know what's gonna happen. Sure. I know, you know yeah. at least that way you can maximize the 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 opportunity if you need it in there. You know, you can still provide the income, you can still earn your, your income, but start shifting your assets, your home, those types of things and get it get it out. One, it protects the assets to begin with. Um, but you know, it, it, it's almost never too late to do that planning. The biggest problem is people do their, you know this, they do their financial planning in their 30s or 40s, and they don't look at it again for 30 years. Not our clients, Actually, Mark. We're looking at it all not the time. Not clients, but how many do you see that, oh, I did all my financial, I did my wills and estate. I, this is one of the, the blogs I wrote about my parents. Oh, we did all of that. It was like, no, you did your estate. You did your, you, you looked at it from perspective of taxation. You didn't look at it from the perspective of, can I get Medicaid? Mm -hmm. and, and then you hear the concept, well, I don't want to be on Medicaid. It was like, I don't know why not. It's the exact same insurance you already have. It just has a different ending in the word. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, from, from the perspective of you never know what's going to happen health-wise. So, um, you know, do what you can to protect the asset at a younger age. I understand that. I Personally, though, I think it's... At, at in your 50s or maybe even in your 60s it can be hard to confirm that you don't need that asset in your regular life right that you don't right. need to spend that asset for your own well-being right. if you're continue to be well so i think that's where it's that's where it becomes difficult to find that you know kind of sweet spot of okay yes. you know let's do it early enough so that with that five years can pass and and the asset is you know we're beyond the look back period but but our, like, let's do it old enough where we're very sure we don't need to rely on that asset, whether it's a, a home, equity in a home, or whether it's uh, other assets, investments, or cash in the bank. Um, you know, let's let's make sure we don't. And, and, and what assets go where, right? You yeah, know, yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. there. And so, you know, the key is get professional support. You know, I, I watched the financial planning show on TV. I'm all set. You know, that's just not true. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I watch Perry Mason. I'm an attorney. You know, it, it, it's, these things are complicated. They're constant moving targets. I mean, we do, we work with families, talk to families all the time. 
and they they they'd gone um, on on Craigslist and hired a caregiver. And I was like, well, that's all well and good, but Massachusetts has a paycheck law. You have to track hours. You have to get work. You have to pay into workers' comp. You have to get workers' comp insurance. You have to get a rider on your insurance for a commercial employee in your home. You have to track hours. You have to pay overtime for anything over forty. And if not, it's a labor dispute. They hire, you know, the caregiver hires an attorney. They have a three-year look back in the state. You go back and say, I'm owed this much overtime times three mm. because it's trouble damages. Mm. And it's not a negotiation. It's, a, it's a, you know, here's a judgment. And, you know, you know, nationally within the senior helper system, we've had owners whose families have had to sign over a house. Yeah. That's a, that's a big change in wealth. When you have to yeah. sign over a house because you save four dollars an hour hiring somebody under the table, and they hired a labor attorney. That is, uh, yeah, that's that's always one of our favorite, you know, examples of, you know, it's it's always better to spend spend the money up front and right. make sure you're doing the right things and, and hiring a professional versus the right. the ramifications you could you could you could see if you don't, yeah. Yeah, even even in Massachusetts, there are two types of agencies. There are agencies like mine, which are employment based, and they're registries, which basically act as kind of a middle person between you and sourcing a caregiver, right? But if if you use a registry, you're responsible. You're the employer. You're responsible for directing the care. If they direct the care, they become a joint employer and are also liable. But you signed off that you'll accept full liability, so they're protected. You know, in there, and you, you, you know, if you're the employer, you need to make sure you operate like a business. You need to have the right insurance. You need to have the right protections. You need to pay correctly. All of those things. Same thing applies with a nanny or anything else. And people say, "Oh, it's not a risk." Well, do you really want to be the test case? Mm-hmm. And we talked about the the return on investment. You, you know, we get it all the time. Well, I can hire somebody for twenty four dollars an hour if I hire them direct. Yes, you can. Add the cost of your workers' comp insurance, add the cost of liability insurance, add the cost of managing payroll, add the cost of the six and a half percent, you know, federal tax that you have to withhold as an employer. See what your hourly rate is. Oh, and then what happens when that person calls out sick and you only have one caregiver? I have 150 to 200. You know, I can still provide the care. What are you going to do? You're going to take a day off work? When you look at it on an apples to apples basis, Agencies are not really that expensive. The issue is people don't look at it on a full on a full cost basis, or they're skirting the rules, right. and so the expenses aren't there. But if something happens, they're going to wish they were. Yeah, that's not trying to scare anybody. It's just the facts. Yeah. Thirty to forty an hour doesn't. I mean, I know it adds up, but it doesn't sound that expensive for for what that service is providing. No, no. I think it's really, Mark. I think it's really. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like a breath of fresh air that you're talking about this, you know, spending money on care as a return on investment. You know, you keep talking about the ROI on this investment. I I think that that is just a breath of fresh air because I because generally speaking, it's viewed as um, just money down the drain. I mean, you know, just because it can add up so quickly and it can literally can drain assets so quickly. Um, and very financially stressful for families. Um, and I, I think it's really nice that you're kind of talking about it in this light and, and you're investing in, in someone's well-being and livelihood and care. So, you know, do you want to elaborate on that? I know that sure. that's really important to you and your in your firm. It, it's, it, it's very important to me. So in, in my firm, I'm the non-clinician. I'm, I'm, I'm the MBA. I'm the blue blazer, gray pants, clearly the white button down, um, you know, guy. Um, but I've learned a lot about the idea of care. And for me, it's a mission-driven business. How do I make a difference in people's lives so they can age in place? I have an amazing staff of uh, nurses and caregivers. You know, my scheduler started out as a caregiver, then a lead caregiver, then an assistant scheduler is now my lead scheduler. Um, you know, I have uh, my HR person started out as a caregiver and go forth. So we're, we're very mission-driven and we really understand this idea of, you know, care and, and aging in, in place. Um, my, my marketer and my my director of operations come from, you know, um, one has a master's in health and the other, you know, came up through the pharma ranks, you know, in there. We, we get it. We, it's personal to, to all of us. This idea of an ROI for me is very important. And for my clinical staff, I had to kind of explain what did I mean? Because, yeah, there's an economic piece to it. 
but it's it's about a return is about getting what you needed at a multiplier right mm -hmm. so that it's a positive investment mm -hmm. that you want to do better than just break even although in this world breaking even is a great thing right you know i got what i needed Right. So, so we start conversations with our families about what is it that they, they, they want and what is it that they need. And those things are different. They can usually describe what they want. They can't necessarily articulate what they need. They can articulate what they think they need, mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily the same. So, again, our life profile, our evaluation that we start out with everything points out the specifics. That lets us help walk them through. Here are the risks. You know, we can look at it from a budget that translates to an hours of care and how to best allocate that care to, to, to reduce those risks to the maximum amount possible. You reduce those risks, you increase the probability of aging in place, which gives the return. We can also deploy that care against the things that they're trying to manage, their needs, their wants, and their needs to say, here are the trade-offs you, you need to make. If you put the care here doing these things versus the care here and doing these things. If it's burden of care, you know, bathing mom or dad is a different level of effort than managing the meds, right? So I can manage the meds or I can bathe. You need to choose. What is it that you're trying to manage? I don't have the skills to help mom or dad in the tub. Or as soon as the oldest son has to take his mom to the restroom and help, yeah, that's a priority. It's just, that's just one of those lines, you know, that's very uncomfortable for, for folks and it becomes a, a priority. So we need to talk to the family about what they're trying to accomplish, needs and wants. Then we need to take what either the amount of care that they need and say, here's what care they need. Here's what that care would cost. Great, fine, we go forward or I, I can't do that. All right, well, let's optimize how we deploy those resources to maximize the return and lower risk and accomplish your goals. And then you have to check in because those goals change over time. Yeah. And, 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 and what is it? We have, we have some care that we started, we were providing daytime care and it shifted to overnight because the, the spouse was worn thin. They were, it was a 24 hour job. So we switched, she could handle the meals, the laundry, the linen, those types of things for her husband. What she couldn't do is not sleep every night. Hmm. Yeah. So we changed the structure of care. What was the thing that she needed to accomplish? What return was she looking for? She was looking to get a, you know, be able to, to go about her, her life. We had another family who the issue was, I can't leave. I can't do anything. I can't go to the museum. I can't have lunch with my friends. You know, I can't you know um you know go to the salon i can't there there i can't go grocery shopping type of thing so all right you know we can provide a, an aid for you know you know they said you know that first they said this is one of the cases where they said i want four hours a day seven days a week it was like well i think you're better served with three twelve or, or three um uh six hour days and that gives you a concentrated amount of time you can get major things done and get a break mm -hmm. and the quality of life went up tremendously hmm. for everybody Mark, do you know, like, are there any statistics on how many people are aging in place, you know, staying at home? I know we have all sorts of statistics about assisted living and skilled nursing facilities and um, all that. It's harder to get them. No. <laughs> there are best guesses. So the LTCG study on the cost of care gives yeah, kind of yeah. rough ideas. The um, uh, um, National Institute of Health, it compiles things. AARP compiled. I actually have um uh on my desktop i'm looking at it the aarp aging on in place comprehensive statistics um um in there so you know there there are there are those you know uh resources um and and they're well worth you know going in as a professional for the individual to go through and try to you know decipher those things okay. you're 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 gonna exhaust yourself or reduce yourself to tears because not all of it's relevant and you have to know what's relevant, know what's not to interpret the information. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a lot of people. I mean, we, yeah. we know that we yeah. don't have the exact statistics, but it's a lot. And at, we, we have to take an, another break. We're gonna come back for one more um, segment on this yeah. that I wanna talk about, you know, it, it's a lot of people that go through this. This affects millions of families. Yeah. And I, I just, I want to talk about planning in advance for it. There's not, there's still not a lot of people that are planning ahead for this. 
Right. Um, and everybody wants to plan when it's happening. And, and based on our, you know, conversation with our caller, Joel, a few minutes ago, it's often too late. Um, so I just I want to touch on that afterwards and then whatever else you wanted to chat uh, about. Okay. Today, Mark. So um, we're just going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to McNamara on money. Market turbulence can cause panic. And you might be wondering if your investments are allocated properly. I'm Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Let me help you understand your investment strategy and ensure that it is suitable for you. Then you can turn off the financial news and move on with your life. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined today by uh, my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com. Um, our guest today has been wonderful and a wealth of knowledge in this area. So thank you again for joining us. This is Mark Friedman. Uh, he owns Senior Helpers Boston and South Shore and is also an executive in a company called Assured Allies, um, which is in the, I guess, in the consulting in terms of long pricing, long term care insurance policy. The, 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 the product space, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for yeah. that. I was yeah. winging it there. <laughs> uh, thank you again uh, for, for being here. Um, there's a few more things I wanted to cover. One of them was just, you know, we, we had um, uh, that caller, his name was Joel, in, in you know, sort of mm-hmm. asking the questions that a lot of people ask when care is either imminent or it's, it's started to happen and, you know, and people have a better feel for the expense. Um, of someone needing care, whether it's at home and aging in place or whether it's uh, in a nursing facility or assisted living. Um, but he was asking the, the same questions that almost everyone that goes through this asks in terms of what, what. well, his question was, are there any you know financial resources for us? Um, he was not eligible for Medicaid because he had too much in the way of assets. Um, having said that, you know, even people with um, perhaps not, you can be ineligible for Medicaid with um, an amount of assets that really in this area of the world is not overly substantial. So, you know, that there's a very low threshold in terms of qualifying for, um, for, for mass health. And, um, and, you know, again, a lot of people ask these questions it's like, well, what, you know, this is what's happening and it's this expensive and what can I do to protect the assets or what can I do to protect the home? What can I do to, you know, pr- protect these investment assets? And, and, um, unfortunately, you know, I'm not an attorney, but, you know, unfortunately, I think in many situations, the answer is, well, if if you don't have five years to, to plan ahead for this, then sometimes the answer is you can't do much. Um, and there's not much you can do to preserve, preserve and you're just, you're going to be in spend down mode and there's only certain things you can, you know, there's only certain qualified expenses when you're spending down so that you'll eventually be eligible for Medicaid. Um, not many expenses that I know of other than, you know, regular old living expenses and like a prepaid funeral. I mean, there's not much else that you can spend the assets on. Like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. I mean, certainly there, you know, you can't be gifting assets away or anything like that within five years of trying to qualify for state assistance. Um, right. And, and if you're not ke- keeping good records, it's, it, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just, I, I guess I just wanted to you know, point out that there's this huge disconnect, right, between, first of all, we, we don't quite have, you know, hard statistics because it's hard to know how many people are remaining home and receiving care because often it's the family, you know, and it not reported, et cetera. Um, but we know that it affects millions and millions of families, right, across the United mm-hmm. States. And we, and we know that a lot of people, you know, probably millions and millions of people that have these questions about what can I do to protect my assets, but there's not a lot of people that are that want to entertain the conversation or want to take the steps to really plan for this in advance. And I guess, I'll, you know, having said that, the planning in advance is not easy planning in advance. It can either be costly or it can be scary in terms of giving assets away. So, I, like, I get that it's people don't want to plan in advance for this for good reason. But there is a huge disconnect, right? You know, Kirk and I as financial advisors have conversations you know, frequently with people in their 50s and 60s and maybe even 70s about, you know, planning in advance for this. And, and you know, for many people, the best way to plan, at least in my opinion, is insurance, purchasing long-term care insurance, or whether it's a life insurance policy that's a hybrid or whether a long-term care insurance policy. Um, I think that that coverage is very appropriate for very many people. And you were saying earlier, 
that what seven and a half million policies and long-term yeah. care policies so long-term not care. many people have it not many yeah. people i mean what it, that's like two percent right. of the population right but i granted the population is you know a wide uh array of uh, ages but what is that probably much less than 10 percent of the population for whom is age appropriate for it right, right. Right. So there's a there's a, and and some people you know it's unaffordable to some people of course you know of course and all that but it's it's affordable to to some people and and right. very it's often a group benefit it's often a group employee benefit is it often do do you use it's a supplemental benefit you pay for it but you get yeah, some yeah. level of coverage yeah um it's it's very often bundled in it's uh you know a lot of people don't take it oh I don't need that I don't need that I'm 35 yeah. years old I don't need that. Well, you know, I know my wife's a professor at Tufts that at one point they had, we could we could uh, acquire it for our parents. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah. so if you think about, you know, things like that, where you can bring, you know, take the traditional products, but innovate in the way they get into people's hands. Oh, I hope that that continues you know, to be available. But, you know, yeah. it, it didn't last very long, um, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was there for a, for a moment in time. Uh, which was good. Yeah. You know, it, you, you, you don't know. I, you know, you asked some statistics, you know, a, a few minutes ago. And so I opened up the AARP report and some uh, um, demographic information from the, the NCBI at, at, NI, at National Institute of Health. Okay. So today, there are about 47 million older adults over 65. And by 2050, it'll be 90 million. So you asked earlier, are there enough beds? No. Just let's just take that off the table. Wow. No. Yeah. Um, in there. So in the current state, about four and a half percent, one and a half million of older adults live in nursing homes, about two percent or one million live in assisted living. But the majority, about 93 and a half or 30, you know, four million or so live in the community. Oh, OK. So, so numbers. now yeah, you, yeah. now you look at the growth rate of the boomers aging. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, you know, so, you know, average age, you know, think about it. 15 years ago, how many people did you see have a 95th 90, to 100 birthdays? Yeah. Right? Right. Expectation, yeah. if you're under 60, you'll you'll make 100. Hmm. I'm not saying 100 is going to be great, yeah. but you're going to make it to 100. Many people will, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what's that, what does that mean for retirement age? You know, this idea of 65 being a retirement age, you know, how many people have 35 years of savings? Yeah, and, and it can be yeah. so that so that uh, sorry to, to uh, I'll let you go in one second here, but that, that that's just such a good point right there that people have to plan for. Generally speaking, we're planning for long retirements, yeah. long life expectancies in retirement, and needing and that's a whole other level of planning there in terms of making sure your assets are sufficient for you. Forgetting about you know long term care, just for your regular life, making sure that you can be financially independent and. Right. and and your assets are sufficient there. That's a challenge in and of itself for many people. Yeah. And then layering this on, you know, on, on top of this, this planning for long-term care, whether it's an addition of, a, of an insurance premium or whether it's picking up a chunk of money and trying to preserve it for your kids, right? In the way of maybe either gifting it or putting it into trust or something um, and taking it, you know, that can be scary and financially very mm-hmm. difficult to take assets off the table and live on the rest of them. I mean, that, that yeah. brings up challenges in and of itself. It's, um, it's, it's a little bit mind boggling. Sorry, Kirk, what were you going to say? Well, you know, just, you know, what Mark was saying about, you know, people living longer and longer and just think about the ramifications that's going to have on the kids, right? And the kids that are going to, you know, feel responsible for, you know, for taking care of them. And, and that's a much longer period of time now that they have to perhaps do that. Yeah. And and it's it, it just has rip a ripple effect, you know. Down and it you know. goes from three generations to four. We had a client who you know, take care of the woman. Oh, my daughter helps me. Well, oh, the the daughter's daughter was helping her. Oh wow! Oh. You know, it was you know it was you know it was you know ninety seven. You know, uh, you know seventy two, and fifty. You know, and so, you know, you had you had this whole continuum of, you know, it was a family affair, you know, trying to orchestrate everything. And, you know, that that's that's just, you know, a staggering thought when you think about that. And and if you think about the portability of our careers today's age, I mean, like I said, my parents are 600 miles away. My sister happens to live up here. We grew up in Virginia. My brother's in Houston. You know, we're not there. 
So it's a plane ride or a nine hour car ride or, or whatever. And we, we, we do it at the drop of a hat when it's needed. Um, you know, my dad fell, broke a, his, his femur a couple of years ago, and then in recovery fell and broke his other hip. You know, that was, that was a, a life changing event, you know, in there and, you know, figuring out what was going on and how to make aging in place. Cause they're not moving. They're within 20 miles where they were born. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what goes on. They're not moving, um, you know, in there. And so how do we make aging in place sustainable for them? What are the things that, that had to be done? Well, grab bars in the bathroom were a good start. There's a fall risk. Dad, use the cane, you know, um, in there. And, and, and life changes for them. You know, they're, 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 they're amazing. They did amazing through the pandemic. They're going to do amazing every day. Yeah. You know, I learn from them every day. I become a smarter caregiver and a smarter agency owner just by listening to them yeah. um, in there. And but, you know, watching it unfold is as is, is it can be scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mark, you and I um, can we just talk about long term care insurance for another yeah. few minutes? You and I um, had a chat yesterday and you were bringing up this um, sort of this concept or this discussion of maybe optimizing the long-term care policy if the right. family has that on the on the person needing care right. um and like the, the best time to use it whether it's at the beginning of needing care or the end i hadn't ever really thought of it in that my, i guess my inclination would have been you use it at the beginning because you don't know how long you're going to live and just use it up but is there are there other things to think about oh. there in terms of optimizing that benefit it, it, it's about it's about what your strategy is you know, yeah. and what your expectation is, you know, in terms of longevity, you know, in there, there, there are those that would advocate, oh, use it first. Other people's money is always, always better. Preserve your assets. Well, that's true. But what if, you know, your, your, your uh, clinical progression, that's going to lead to a nursing home and you have all those assets left. What do you want? How do you want to use it? Knowing that if you want to get into the place of your choice, you're going to need to do it while you can still private pay for a little while. Okay. Long-term care insurance is a great way to fund that um, okay. in there, um, you know, before you exhaust the assets. You know, I, I, I'm using it for, you know, small things that I could manage in other ways. I qualify. I can activate the policy. Usually policies have two standards, either help with two ADLs or diagnosis of dementia. Mm -hmm in there um, there may be other attributes and other features and benefits of comprehensive policies but that that's the, those are the big ones um but there may be other ways to accomplish the help with the adls you know i need help showering well really the issue is i need help getting in and out of the shower but i can actually bathe myself in there well a transfer bench could accomplish that and not activate the policy and then you can preserve it. So a lot of it deals with your personal objectives of what you want to use it for and your forecast, your projection um, in there. You know, you, you work with folks and you're projecting their financial picture, right? Yeah, and then yeah. you look at that and say, well, at what point does it make sense to start to bring these other assets into play, you know, in there? So if it's minor needs that can be managed in, in other, other ways or things that could be managed, you know, differently, and preserve it, you know, and, and you're in a, on the, you know, the under 90 range, you know, and you're doing reasonably well, then there's a good chance you're, you're going to activate that policy, you know, in, in a couple of years, do you want to save it so you can optimize it and get the maximum level of care in there. So you have to look at the individual and what their situation is. There's no hard and fast answer. The key is you have to do the homework. Yeah. One, um, question that was brought up to me recently sort of in this regard um it was a family that wanted to um wanted i forget if it was mom or dad to stay at home mm -hmm. and let's let okay i guess think of an example where mom, mom wants to stay at home and receive care at home let's say there is a long-term care insurance policy in place if the policy is used at, at at the very beginning right as soon as reasonably possible um, while mom receives care at home, mm -hmm. then if the policy is exhausted and mom eventually needed to go into a nursing facility, does that potentially mean she's not going to their top choice nursing facility because she's not 
they wouldn't be private pay. There are more limited options in that regard. Well, it, it kind of depends on what happens with reimbursement for the nursing homes. If it stays at its current level, you know, if they're if they're on Medicaid already, they're going to get an available bed, okay. and it's going to be wherever that is. So in Massachusetts, it's going to be in the state somewhere. Oh wow! Yeah, right. right? And oh, I'm going to wait till something shows up at this building. Well, that may never happen. Now that's that's new in the last ten years, and different buildings are different. They have, they approach it they approach it differently. Um, others, um, you know, will say, "All right, you know, they we when I we're talking with clients and they're they're doing a spend down and they're using their funds to pay for private duty, you know, we ask them what that picture is, and that if they have a place where they want to live, they should go talk to them and find out, you know, what the expectation is from that building. Every operator is going to be a little different." Right. And, and there a lot of them are you know locally owned and they'll work with families and, and so forth. But, you know, well, we you know, we're the folks that are coming in immediately are able to private pay for four months, six months, eight months, whatever the number is, you know, okay. in there. And then they then they, you know, switch to a, a Medicaid. But once they're there, they're not going to be asked to leave. I, some people ask me that. And I actually wasn't 100 percent. No, I've, I've never heard of that. I think about that yeah, Boston yeah. Globe story. That's just not gonna. That's just not gonna happen, um, you know. In there, um, so you know, we, well, people want to age in place, especially if it's a husband and wife. They want to be together, right. right? So you know, we have plenty times where, where, where we see families where assisted living is really the right answer for one spouse, but not for the other because of cognitive issues. Well, those can be managed at home, but it doesn't mean that's the right answer. In some cases, it is. In some cases, it isn't. But are you, is one of them going to relocate, or are they both going to go? And if they both yeah. go, can the one that has cognitive issues, you know, still stay with the spouse and and kind of go to the memory support unit during the day? Well, it depends. Are they a risk to themselves or others? Are they a risk to elopement? You can't lock the door to an assisted living. A memory support unit can be locked within the building. So what what are the what are the risks and the issues that you're trying to manage, you know, in those things? You know, every situation is is so different. This is where geriatric care managers, uh, aging life care association members, are great resources in there because they're looking at you know what you know where can I accomplish what I need to do. We provide some support for families because we know so many of the buildings really well. But if it's very complex, we're not in the business of setting up tours, touring places, things like that. We'll give our recommendations. We work in a lot of assisted livings. We provide staffing support for many in the metro area where when they need extra staff, they call us and we staff because our caregivers all meet the same requirements theirs do. They are regulated. Um, and then, um, you know, other times, you know, we'll recommend somebody who can help them with that navigation and kind of map and plot their choices really depends on how complex their their need is and their desires okay but saving that policy it, there's an optimum and it's different for you than it is for me yeah um can you talk for a few minutes mark about um like the impact on the family like the extended family and i and i don't maybe i don't I'm, i mean from a financial perspective i wonder if you have any like good good stories or maybe bad stories to share like I guess thinking of an example where, you know, dad moves in with one of the five kids mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one sibling, as you said, you know, generally steps up and provides the majority of the care. And like, you know, from a financial perspective, that can just get really messy. Well, uh, it's not it's both an operational challenge and a financial challenge. Right. Yeah. So so 42 million Americans take care of a loved yeah over 50 that's just the over 50. wow right all right so i was just looking at that data i'm looking at it right now from aarp they published it this past year um 41.8 are caregivers for people over 50. right um uh and um that's 2020 that's up from 34.2 in 2015. that's a pretty big jump too that's a huge huge jump yeah. um yeah, so going up, you know going one up. one family person steps up all right they put them in their house they do an addition right and there's this implicit agreement among the family that everybody's going to chip in for that added cost you know for the, the the cost of the home modifications the 
the cost of care, or, you know, some people are looking at it and saying, oh, oh, it's all taken care of. She lives with, you know, my sister. Mom lives with my sister. But, okay, my sister, my sister as an example, my mom doesn't live there. My sister is a a consultant, has her own practice. Um, She advises, you know, um, you know, health plans and pharmaceutical companies on managing you know, access to federal reimbursement for pharmaceuticals and reimbursement under Medicaid and things like that. It's not like she's home, would be home taking care of mom. There's still going to be a cost of care. What you've done is you've reduced the cost of occupancy, yeah. right? So, so how is that burden shifted? So, so we do, a, we have a burden of care assessment and we can do it with a family and kind of piece things together. Mary Middleman at NYU, um, I did a program called um, the NYUCI program, which is helping, you know, orchestrate family dynamics around taking care of those with cognitive impairment. Mm. And, it, and it's really, a, it's like a group therapy process of sorting out roles and responsibilities and, uh, you know, making sure people aren't angry at the part that landed on their plate over somebody else's plate. Yeah. The dynamics are tricky, or we have situations much more common, you know, it's the generation, they said, all right, my daughter is going to fig- make the care decisions. My husband, I mean, my son's going to make the financial decisions. That's changing, by the way, but that was the, the model, you know, in a, in a lot of cases. And, you know, the, the daughter says, well, this is what mom needs. And the son says, I'm not going to write the check. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's got to be some meeting of the minds there, yeah. you know, or, or the right strategy. Or we could do this cheaper. But it, yeah. that's not what mom wants. That means, you know. So, I mean, there's there's all sorts of dynamics. This is where an aging life care association professional is great because they'll mediate that problem. I was gonna I was gonna say, are there are there mediators yes. for this? Because I yes. yeah, because like you know, I'm thinking of examples where right, like there's an addition put on one of the kids' homes, and right. then you know, mom puts them ex you know probably hundreds of thousands right into this person's home. And, and the other kids want to take that off the inheritance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. you name it, you, you, you see it. You also see the wonderful stories where it's all in on by everybody yeah. um, in there. But you, it, it's a mix. And, you know, when an economy turns or a pandemic hits and people start losing their job and, you know, the dynamic all of a sudden shifts overnight. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a moving target because it's not an event. It's a, it's a journey. What's the name of that professional? So they're geriatric case managers, GCMs. Okay. And you want to make sure they're members of ALCA, the Aging Life Care Association, which is the national association, which has certification standards for GCMs uh, and so forth. Um, and they're, and they're, they're amazing resources. So now, a, ger- a geriatric care manager will get into those types of family discussions. We'll get into those family dynamics in yeah, there. Yeah. Now, there are really good ones, and there's, it's a lot like home care agencies, right? Okay. You know, there's some really good ones that do everything the right way, and there's other ones that are actually providing not great advice. Get references, mm-hmm. like on anything. You know, find out, you know, what are the things important to you? What are their skill sets relative to that? Some specialize in, in certain disease progressions. Some specialize in placement. Some specialize in um, advocacy. Some do all of the above. Some are solo practitioners. Some are part of large practices. Okay. I think um, that yeah. I think that uh, you know that burden assessment. I think to me is very valuable because you know I've seen families that you know have done this where one you know one sibling has taken on the care and then the other ones don't realize you know all the impact. And I think if yeah. you had a third party like that really showing you this is what it's going to take you know both time and 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 money uh, so that they have you know sort of an independent assessment of what what's really being put into this. And because I think. Families are driven apart by this sometimes, you know, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they, and sometimes they never talk to each other again. And, yeah. And it's not just time and money. It's also the, you know, emotional or physical exhaustion. Yeah. That can be involved in it. You know, if if somebody, you know, has cognitive impairment and you're trying to keep them at home, that's, that's great. But the whole, you know, day, night cycle can change. You know, if you're working all day and you're providing, you're having care in the home for for mom and dad, or you're or you're able to provide the care during the home, you still have to sleep. You still have to go to the market, right? You know, Instacart's great, but it's not a universal solution. Mm-hmm. You know, you you, you might you, you, you still need to go for your own doctor's appointments. You know, those types of things. You can't work a 24-hour day, 
and that's what you know so so people that provide care for you know uh, uh, you know their their family members report financial stress emotional stress you know high divorce rate you know those types of things it, it changes the entire dynamic of living and you have to be it's not that it can't be managed it's that people kind of forget that that too has to be managed because um, they're you know they're focused on other things so you need to have that holistic conversation about how things work you know we have um my, my next door neighbor um uh the mom had an accident and the daughters took turns going down to florida to help orchestrate things but they also brought in care you know in there because they couldn't do all of it even though they were there to do as much as they could um and mom's making a great re great recovery it's a great success story of you know the the, the children kind of working as a team you know, in there and, and getting the added resources that they needed to make sure it worked. Yeah. But you need a plan. Oh my gosh, so much to think about. Um, all right, well, we just have a few more minutes. Um, again, we've been chatting with Mark mm -hmm. Friedman. You have been amazing and just a wealth of knowledge. And you know, it's just so clearly love what you do. I just, you're so passionate about the things you talk about. It's amazing. Um, so Mark owns Senior Helpers Boston and South Shore. You can check out uh, his firm at seniorhelpersboston.com. Lots of information there about services provided. Um, we've been talking today about aging in place. I think it's a very um, common discussion. I mean, I don't, there, I mean, Kirk, you could correct me if I'm wrong. There's not a single client that we talk to about, you know, we try to bring up the discussions were appropriate about planning in advance for if someone needs care. Um, there's not a single person we have that discussion with that wants to plan to be anywhere else but at home. Right. Yes. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And I don't mean single in terms of not married. I mean, yes. <laughs> um, there's, there's or maybe I can think of one person ever who was excited to go to a community setting, but generally speaking, yeah. that's that's what everybody wants. That's the ideal. Yeah. 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 And, and I just can't stress enough that we. It, as hard as the conversation is, as, as expensive as some of the solutions are, I, I think that this is, I'm so, it's so important to think ahead about these things and plan ahead and, and not get yourself into a situation where it's happening and, 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 it's, and it's too late to, to do what you want to do. Um, and, and you know, most people make these decisions in a crisis because they didn't yeah. do yeah. that. And yeah. crisis is never a good time to make a big life decision. No, nope. I know. Nope. Yeah. All right, well, that music means that it's time to go. I can't thank you enough. Again, this is Mark Friedman. Um, Thanks, Mark. Senior Health Boston. And thank, you. thank you so much for being here. We'll definitely have you back. That was wonderful. Um, I hope you and your family continue to stay well. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com. You can also check out our podcast on your podcast app. Search McNamara on Money. We take all of our live shows and turn them into podcasts if you ever miss any. Uh, Mark Friedman, again, thank you so much for being here. Stay well. My Bye. pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.